the book of Job. Job chapters one through three. The book enters with a startling scene, one that is not easy to actually digest. Satan enters human history in the book of Job. Remember, Job is almost certainly our oldest book, certainly our oldest story. Whenever it was finally edited, people can argue about that, but it's a very old book with very old Hebrew. And so God wanted us to know something about him and about us. And so we get the book of Job. And startling, as soon as we start to read it, Satan walks into heaven. And that's not been part of our understanding traditionally of Satan. We tend to cartoonize him and didn't think of him walking around in the courts of God, but he certainly did. And he made a case that humans, Job is a stand-in for humanity here, humans will only love God as long as he continues to bless them. As long as he continues to pour out blessing upon blessing, health and prosperity, they will love him. But Satan says, turn your back on him. Don't give those gifts to them and those people will, will turn aside from you. And let's be honest, with most people, Satan would have been right. But in this story, however, things are not going to go Satan's way. Again, this, this reads more like a play, a morality tale, than it does a biography. This book is here to help us understand that there are things behind our world. Beings that are for us and beings that are against us. We're not given eyes to see what lies behind our reality. No, instead we're called to be righteous in our reality, regardless of what that reality is. In The Wizard of Oz, famously, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, and the man was just a, an impotent conman fraudster pulling levers. There are curtains, and behind them, a lot's going on. We're given a little peek here, we get a little peek in Daniel, little peek in Revelation and a couple of other places, but not very often do we get this peek. So, I've been asking you to read ahead, and this is chapters one through three. This will become exceedingly important starting this week, because most of us can muddle through chapters one through three without really having read them, because we know the story. It's a very familiar story to Jews and to Christians. God allows Satan to destroy Job's life, but not his life, life around him, his reputation, his family, his standing in society. All of that could be taken away, but God said, do not touch Job. We can argue and scream about why would God allow such a thing to happen? But we must remember, the story is not here for us to sit and wonder about God. The story is here to help us navigate our way through a world where a lot of things we see just do not make sense. And we wonder, why would God and why doesn't God? This story is here for us. It's not a story about how God does stuff. Remember, keep the main thing the main thing and let the point of the story be the point of the story. So rather than dive down rabbit holes within the first few verses, we need to take a look at something very staggering. If you thought Satan entering heaven was staggering, I'd say it pales beside Job's reaction to the amazing, incredible, horrific losses in his life. In Job chapter one, verses 20 through 22, 
At this, that's all the trouble, all the tragedy, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now that's a verse which, if you're a verse underliner, circler, highlighter type person, that verse. We don't want to sin by saying God's doing wrong. It's all right for us to ask God, what's he doing? And would you, I'd rather if you did this over here. But let's be very careful about the accusations we throw against God because we don't know the whole story. We don't know what else is going on in other people's hearts and minds. We don't know what's going on behind the curtain. So we have to be faithful, even though it's a bit being faithful in the darkness. But if Job's attitude shocks you, well, maybe we need to take a look at James. Uh, traditionally known as the brother of Jesus, uh, there are some people that argue that, but aren't there, frankly, people that argue about everything? So, James 1. Don't be deceived, starting at verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Every gift we have, every good and perfect thing we have was given to us by God. And therefore, if it is taken away, we cannot say he took our stuff. He merely set back the gifts, pulled them away. Gifts we didn't deserve in the first place, but he loves to give. So something else is going on. What is our duty while all of this is going on? Who are we to be? Satan makes a reappearance in chapter 2, just about the time you were hoping you were past seeing Satan walk in heaven. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, On another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. It's a kind of a chilling phrase, but it shouldn't be because he's not the only one who does that. And one of my uh, just favorite stories is in Genesis 18. No, it's not about Sodom and Gomorrah because that really hits in Genesis 19. I like 18 because Abraham's minding his own business when some visitors walk up and he immediately offers them hospitality, which is a Middle Eastern way of doing things. And as he does it, he begins to realize, wait a minute, these are not human beings. Two of them are angels, and one of them might be more than an angel. And scripture will tell us it's actually Jesus come to visit early. Um, a lot of things I'd like to talk about there. But the thing I'd like to, we, we really have to stick with Job right now, okay? So in Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Whoa! That sound you hear? It's the sound of minds blowing all over the place. Um, so let's just sort it out. Or at least admit it. What God chooses to know what God chooses to decide ahead of time, 
and what God leaves to us to decide are problems that the scripture will not sort for us. You cannot read the scripture, I believe, honestly, and end up being a pure Calvinist. Nor can you read it and be a pure open theology guy or a process theology guy or a pure Armenian. And if all of these words mean nothing to you, that's fine. What I was saying is what I just said, God, what he knows when he chooses to know it, what he chooses not to know, what he chooses to live, leave up to us, and what he chooses to decide on his own, that's a mystery. And the scripture will not help you solve that once and for all, for every place and every time. For now, just be aware that this going here and there upon the face of the earth was not just something Satan did. It's what angels do, even now. That's their job to go, well, one of their jobs is to monitor, watch, report, take action when, when given leave to by God. That's their, that's their job. God is in scripture, the Lord of hosts, one of his many names. We went through the names of God uh, a few years ago. It's just an amazing journey. He's the Lord of hosts, the big group. And we're part of that plan, which is pretty cool. We help direct what happens on earth. God is not an autocrat, could have been, could have made just a bunch of robots, turn them loose. You hear people say, I think the, the whole universe is a computer simulation. Okay, if so, why would you introduce in every human a virus? Not COVID-19, but a virus that would cause rebellion, <clears throat> murder, um, rape, burglary, you wouldn't do that. You're destroying your whole system. God created us and gave us free will. And we can either be a virus that hurts the world or we can be a blessing to the world. <clears throat> Lord, you Tennessee, we will survive. <clears throat> Reaching over here for some adequate hydration. You may do the same. <clears throat> Satan is given permission in this scene to harm the physical health of Job, but not to kill him. Because Satan said, that would be the last straw. That will, that'll turn him against you. Well, he is immediately, Job, immediately reduced to boils all over. I cannot imagine the misery. Sitting in ashes with a shaved head, scraping at his sores with a broken piece of pottery. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I'm gonna give you permission to be a little upset at the phrasing there because it is really not translated great in the NIV, which I've read from here, the 2011 edition, which I'm on record and stay there as saying is a wonderful translation of the scripture, but it's not a perfect one. And the Hebrew in this is so old that it's hard to go even close to word by, for word. And the NIV tries to go concept for concept, but let me help you here. What was she saying about his integrity? Integrity for integral or integral is the way things hold together. So if I believe in God and I believe he is good, those are two thoughts. 
that link. And kind of like Legos or whatever you're building, and this is this holds together, it internally is consistent, it's integrity. And she's saying, after all you've seen, why hasn't your worldview changed? Why can you not see what is around you and decide that you need to break off the existence of God from he is good, we do not challenge him, we do not ascribe to him evil. He was holding all that together. She couldn't understand it. I am, you know, I'm sorry, but if I was living at Job's time, I would have probably been more team Job's wife than team Job because he had no Bible to run to. He had no temple or tabernacle to run to. There weren't wandering rabbis to come and, and explain what was going on. She has a point. But then he says, oh, foolish woman, it doesn't mean you silly woman. He's not calling her Lucy in the old I Love Lucy reruns. No, he, the word foolish there is a moral word. He's saying, hold on to your moral compass. Do not be immoral. Remember, what the world does is what the world does. But what we choose to do is up to us. Well, that's that makes a lot more sense and removes some of that. Wait, wait, wait a minute. He's just dismissing her. It, it removes it. Oh, I'm sure he's upset. How can you not be sitting in ashes, scratching at boils? I think she's just saying to him, listen, just give up on this concept of a good God. You're wrestling with it. And right now you don't need to. He holds on to his faith. No wonder we, uh, we ascribe him as a hero. But now Job's friends arrive. And Job's friends get a really good kicking in a lot of sermons and a lot of summaries and Bible classes of this book. But the fact is, as, as many philosophers have said before me, this was the greatest meeting of the greatest minds in recorded history. And these friends were true, wonderful friends. They came and while they were far off, stopped and wailed and cried at what had become of their friend. They tore their clothes. And I, when I was a boy, I was going, well, that doesn't sound decent or necessary. Dece their dec the concept of decency was different than ours. Tearing of clothes, however, was a, I am entering into suffering with you. The shaving of head or putting dust on the head, I'm entering into misery with you. Remember these people, most of them could not go home and get new clothes. They had one set, maybe a two or three if they were quite well to do. So to tear the clothes was to offer, I will go into misery with you. And then they sit and then they're quiet. The book of Job says seven days. Please remember Hebrews use numbers in a different way than we do. And this could be seven 24 hours day, uh, days, or it could be they sat and sat and sat and sat as long as it took. Not a one of them offered a platitude. Not a one of them said, well, you know, things just look bad now. Not a one of them. They sat there and shared his misery. These have got to be the best friends on the planet Earth. That's just staggering. And it was Job that finally broke the silence. His friends didn't come to him to give him answers or to tell him, if you just had more faith, Job. No, they would have been content, it looks like, just to stay there. But Job's pain wells up 
He's very near his breaking point. His cries of pain and disorientation, they're very heartbreaking to hear to this very day. And it takes up the entirety of chapter three. We're just gonna look here at chapter three, verses three through seven. May the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born that day. May it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once again. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light that light that night. May thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. The, the level of pain and pathos here is extraordinary. And so is the beauty of his language. The word day here, by the way, is um, in the older Hebrew, see. And it probably means that here. He's asking why he was created, that sea, the sea around me. Why was I entered into humankind? Why am I a part of this? It would have been better, he says, to, to just let the chaos of Genesis 1 and verse 2, where the spirit hovers over the waters and where the, the earth is in chaos. He says, why don't you just let that continue? He even actively asks as you go down through, why the mythical beast of primordial destruction weren't allowed just to finish the job. In the Bible, uh, we get three names for these beasts, most likely three different beasts, but could be different uh, area names for the same one or two. Leviathan, Rahab, and Tannin. Leviathan, Rahab, and Tannin. You'll also find mentions of them in Isaiah 27.1, and you'll find um, in uh, Psalm 74 and verse 14. They show up from time to time. So what's he saying? What's the point of being born? What is the point of being born if you end up like this? Job wants to be ahead and be dead. He said, at least then I'd be in the dirt with kings. I'd have some standing in that sense because we all go to the pit. He's jealous of slaves because he says they've already arrived. They know what their slavery is going to be like. It's not like being marched away as slave when you don't know what horrors await you. He feels like he is being marched away to greater horrors that he could not even imagine. And he said, if, if it includes death, please take me just to death now. He asked why he has to be conscious and see this and feel it. There are certain um, brain diseases some of them caused by medication or by injury, that a person is 100% present and aware. They feel every pinprick, they feel every pain, they hear every noise, and they can't even blink in response. Some people have lived for years in that condition. I cannot imagine. I just, I don't want to imagine if I'm being very honest. And, and here he's saying, I, I don't wanna be that person. I want to be the person that's just gone. Uh, Job 3, 20 through 26. Why is light given to those in misery? In other words, why am I aware? Why am I continually alive? And life to the better soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. 
Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? He's saying, this isn't my choice. For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dread has happened to me. I have no peace, no quiet. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Does your heart break for Job? Your heart should break for Job. We're going to look at Eliphaz's, um, and by the way, his name is pronounced several different ways, but we're going to stick with Eliphaz for now. Um, we're going to look at his response next week, and it's very important that you read chapters four through six, because that's the first response from Eliphaz, or first speech, rather, and then Job responds to it. And all of this is necessary. Yeah, I can remember when Atari games first came out. Do you remember that? Video games had never been heard of. And you could buy for only about a third to half of your weekly salary, this machine that would hook up to the TV. And if you turn it on, you'd see a black and white screen with two lines on it and a dotted line in between. And then every so often a square would float by and you would move your paddle to where that line would touch and then it would bounce over. It was called Pong sold millions and millions and millions of games. And people would play that for hours and hours, like they play all the modern souped up uh, games today. Job is a pong, pong game, just bong, bong, bong. It's tennis, but it's, it is at a metaphysical level and a theological level. And don't let those words scare you because I really want you to read and absorb the book. I want you to wrestle along with these outstanding individuals. Now, by the way, outstanding doesn't mean everything they say and do is going to be perfect. None of us are. Spoiler alert. But it's important to go through the process now so that if or when you go through a crisis, you know this story and you are better able to deal with the crisis, at least internally. Eliphaz, or Eliphaz, or there I already started the other pronunciation, Eliphaz, wants to frame the discussion. He says, I, you know, we've heard you. Why don't we stay in this? And here is the problem. And by doing that, he's actually trying to do something else. He's trying to protect the reputation of God, saying, let's not go over to where we're going to cast a stone at God. There are some things we will say and some things we will not say. He was ready to protect God's reputation, even at the cost of Job's. And as we end today, it's a shorter lesson, I know. If, as we end today, you might be looking for an uplifting moment to, to end our time together, to send you happy thoughts into the world. Not this time. Isn't that the point, though? Sometimes there is no uplifting moment. Think of, uh, we're in America, or not all of our viewers are, by the way. And by the way, viewers, we love it. If you want to become part of Fourth Avenue Church, just write in, let us know. Um, we will love you wherever you are. That's it. If you have um, a football team, and I, here I am in the heart of the SEC, and you, are, um, you just really hope they play football this year. I do too. I love football. I'm not a real fan and fanatic, though. I couldn't tell you the players' names most of the time or the coaches' name. I just like the, the game. And I know, oh, horrors. 
But let's say your team is playing for the national championship and they get stomped. You know, my wife was raised in the Denver area of Colorado. And so we were always rooting for the Broncos. And I can remember, what was it now, six years ago when uh, we had Manning be our quarterback and we're going to the Super Bowl. And it was a tragedy from the first play. It was so sad. What if somebody had come up to us later as we're just sitting there looking and gone, well, you know, we need to look on the bright side of the game. There wasn't a bright side. Well, not for Denver people. Sometimes there's no bright side to even the gut-wrenching worst things. Not a football game. And that's the whole point. What will we do and who will we be when and if that happens to us? Easy answers are never okay. They're just not. Dismissing the pain of others with platitudes is just wrong. It's not a good idea. To hug a parent who's lost a child and said, God needs another angel. God can make angels. He doesn't need to take a child. God didn't take the child. Life is full of sorrow. A man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You'll read that if you read the book along with us. Because Job talks about what happens when there's not a happy ending. There is a, um, there is a chord of that in us somewhere that hits and vibrates. A man writing under a pseudonym made himself a very wealthy man, writing a whole bunch of books. All of them had secondary titles, but the whole series was called A Series of Unfortunate Events. And he put these kids in one after another of horrible losing propositions. And it was done with humor and with gothic horror. And it, they were actually, I read, I think maybe 10 or 12 of them because they were so well-written and so entertaining. And yet at the end, there was never a happy ending. If that sounds really horrible to you, look them up, read one. You'll see what I mean. But easy platitudes aren't gonna help. So a couple of scriptures as we close. Romans 12, 15 through 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. By that way, uh, by the way, if you're thinking, well, that seems a little a people of low position. The Greek there really reads more like, don't be afraid to hang around people who do menial work. Never allow your faith to make you feel superior to anybody else is what he's saying. Be in harmony with them. When I play a chord on the guitar, if I play it right, I'm playing at least two different notes. Most of the time, six different notes. Those notes have to go together. That's called harmonizing. Back in the day, harmony, harmony was a big deal. You had the brothers four, you, you had uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, you had Simon and Garfunkel, harmony, was what you did. The streets of Philadelphia were full with young acapella groups, you know, snapping their fingers and singing in harmony. When you're in harmony with somebody, you don't go against their story, you enter their story. You sit with them quietly, you suffer with them, and you mourn with them. And, and during this time of COVID, perhaps we need that message. 
If you're a person that thinks everything's really just fine, it, enter the world of the one who's very, very fearful right now. And don't correct them. Sit with them. Think about them. Tell them you love them. And if you're a person who thinks, I know the science and this is really, really horrible and these people are just a danger to society, it's gonna be a little harder for you, but I'm gonna ask you to do the same. Love them anyway. Rejoice, mourn, whatever helps them, help them. We need to lean on each other. There was a, I don't think it's around anymore actually, there was a, a long running British comic strip called Andy Cap. And, and it was considered funny in the day and it's totally inappropriate now because Andy Cap was not only a, always a drunk, but he punched his wife a lot and she punched him a lot. And, and again, it's hard for the younger ones, I'd say anybody under 40 to think, well, why was that considered funny? Because it was a different world. Was it funny really in the day? No, it was tragic from Adam till now. I don't think Adam hit his wife, but throughout human history, it was wrong. But back then they even looked upon as funny. Do you remember the honeymooners with Jackie Gleason and he'd do his fist toward his wife, one of these days, Alice to the moon. And people laughed. We would not laugh at that today. But I remember Andy Cap once was walking along the street and they always have this vicar, this uh, pastor, this priest, trying to get him in to church. And he says, um, Andy, I, I want you to come to church. And Andy goes, well, religion's just a crutch. And the minister says, well, who isn't limping? That actually was worth reading. Lean on each other. Be there for each other. The, um, the love chapter, we always call it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully now known. We live in a now, not the then. It's okay to say, I don't know, but I love you. Chapters four through six next week. God bless you all.